You ready to get into the Word? Steve, can I persuade you to give us a chord and let's sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome as we stand and get ready to get into this. Uh, let's, just, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit here tonight. You don't need a mic, do you? Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, you are welcome in this place. Amen. Well, I want to uh, read a quote and then I'm going to take you down to this first verse. Let me just read this to you quickly. I'm trying to pull a quote from somebody that said something good about the Holy Spirit every week, something different. And I like this one. A.B. Simpson said, the chief danger of the church today is that it is trying to get on the same side as the world instead of turning the world upside down. Our master expects us to accomplish results, even if they bring opposition and conflict. Anything is better than compromise, apathy, and paralysis. God give to us I want you to read this last one with me, can you? God give to us an intense cry for the old-time power of the gospel and the Holy Ghost. That's good. You know, I was reading this this week, and it just strikes me as amazing. The New Testament's an amazing book. The Apostle Paul talked about an actual friendship with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? Look at this verse out of the Message Bible. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Now read the NIV version with me out loud, can you? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We welcome your fellowship, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. And we're talking tonight about the covenants of the Holy Spirit. Most people have not ever stopped to think about the fact that um, before, I'm going to just turn this off for a minute. Before man was created, before the worlds were fashioned and formed, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost had a meeting. And this is in the Word of God many, many times. And in that meeting, the Father covenanted what He would do, the Son covenanted what He would do, and the Holy Spirit covenanted what He would do when it came to the salvation of mankind. The Father covenanted to send His Son. The Son covenanted to come and die. The Holy Spirit covenanted some things that we're going to see tonight. And I want you to understand that we don't stand... um, We don't stand in a testament or a covenant or an agreement written in ink. But this was covenanted by Almighty God, written in the blood of His Son, and sealed with His Holy Spirit. 
And so we're under covenant tonight. We're covenant people. We have a covenant God. And the Spirit of God is going to stay with you because He covenanted to do so. He's going to comfort you when you're troubled because He covenanted to do so. He's going to strengthen you because He covenanted. How many of you this week needed the Holy Ghost to help you? How about today? Amen. It's so important. So we're going to look at this now. Isn't that an amazing statement? The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The intimate friendship. Now, when we read the word fellowship, it comes straight from the Greek word koinonia that most of us know. And uh, koinonia means partnership or communication. So we could put it this way. May the communication of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or how about this? The daily partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's powerful stuff. Amen. So I want to just speak that over you. May the communication of the Holy Spirit be with you. Some of you are seeking guidance. Some of you are seeking wisdom. The Holy Spirit is inside of you to communicate with you. That's why John said, you have no need that any man teach you, but the same anointing you have received, which abides in you, will teach you all things. The Bible teaches that Christians have been given the incredible privilege of enjoying intimate friendship and communication with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to read A.B. Simpson again. Um, Well, I already read that. How'd that get up there again? Well, how many of you ever seen Word do strange things? All right. (laughs) I have. (laughs) Huh? You know what I'm talking about. The Bible God is a God of covenant. The Bible God is a God of covenant. The Bible talks about the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenants. We know that the new covenant as the covenant of grace, that's what we're under right now. I am so glad we're not under the Mosaic covenant. Even the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant was the law, but we're under the covenant of grace, the covenant of mercy, the covenant of forgiveness, the covenant of the blood. And the covenant of grace is between the Godhead and we, the subjects of his grace. It was established before the foundation of the world. And that's what amazes me. Paul says some things sometimes. You can skip past them, but if you stop and think about what you just read, it's a mind bender. It's a mind twister. It makes my mind feel like a pretzel. When I think about before the foundation of the earth was laid, he saw you in Christ. You. Ron, individually, you, Mark, you, Patty. He saw you in Christ before he said, let there be light. Everybody say with me, mind bender. That's a mind bender. That's That's a brain twister. How blessed is God, the Bible says, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Now, look what it says. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Wow. Had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made holy and or whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, 
he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ and what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved Son. So there you have in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, that he, that he did all this before the foundation of the earth was laid. But let's read it again in 2 Timothy. This got a hold of me a couple of weeks ago in my devotional. Listen to what it says. There you have it. The covenant of grace was decided upon by God before time began. Wow. Let's read the same thought from 2 Timothy 1, 9 who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Well, how could that be? How can God give us something before the beginning of time? Because he's God. God doesn't dwell in time. And the only time that time exists, time exists when there is is something to erode or wear away. That's the only time that time matters. That's the only context in which there is time. If something can age or erode, wear away, die. But God doesn't live in time. That's why it says before Abraham I was. A million years ago, no, he said before Abraham was I am. A million years ago he am, a million years from now he am. Because he doesn't dwell in time. He doesn't exist in time. He has no watch. He has no clock. He has no calendar. God doesn't deal in time. We do. So we're always looking at our watch saying, where are you? But God doesn't deal in time. He, he, he enters time from eternity. Eternity future and eternity past. And he enters time. And he deals with you and me. But before time began, God looked way down the tunnel of time and let's face it he did know that man was going to fall if he hadn't known he wouldn't have cut the covenant of grace before time began everybody with me so he knew man was going to fall he had to well what do you do with that i can't do anything with that i have to leave that with god because he's god because if i had known man was going to fall i wouldn't have made him But how many of you make kids knowing they're going to fall? See, I don't know why he did it, but it's obvious that God knew man was going to fall because before time began, God said, I'll send my son. The son said, I will go. And the Holy Spirit said, I will seal them. I can't figure it all out. We're not supposed to be able to. His thoughts are not our thoughts and his his ways are not our ways. They are far beyond our finite minds. Some things you have to accept by faith. If I was God, I'd wrap this whole thing up right now. I really would. I'd wrap the whole thing up right now. I tell Kathy that all the time. We're watching something on the news. I say, if I was God, I'd wrap this whole thing up. The pain, the suffering... I don't understand it all. But we saw in the Word of God just a few weeks ago that he's waiting for just one more to repent. It was one more person to be saved, one more person to be redeemed. How many of you are okay with not understanding everything? 
All right, good, good. Now look at this. Titus 1-2 says the same thing. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised when before time began. And look, before time began, he promised that there would be a covenant of grace. And it would bring eternal life to those who turn to it. Those who turn to his son. Each person of the Godhead would have a distinct, unique role in this covenant. God would be the giver of his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God would be the giver. The son would shed his blood for the cleansing of our sin, bringing reconciliation. Let's read this out loud from Hebrews, can we? Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Before time began, the son said, I will wrap myself in skin, and I will become a human being. And we weren't even created yet. And I will become one of them. And I will feel their pain, and I will walk in their world, and I will die for their sins. And this happened before time began. And the Holy Spirit's covenant would perform the task of regeneration. That's what he covenanted. Let's read this, can we? He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That was his covenant. As persons in the Trinity, they were equal. As covenanting parties, they were also equal. They just had different functions. In terms of the Holy Spirit, we would be the beneficiaries of the covenant of grace, and the Spirit would be the applier of the benefits. The applier. How many of you remember when you said, Jesus, forgive me, how the Holy Spirit touched your heart and peace flooded your soul and something happened to you. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit performing the function of the applier, the applier of the, the benefits of the covenant of grace. Arthur Pink wrote of this great grace covenant that there should have been a covenant at all that the three persons in the Godhead should have deigned to enter into a solemn compact on behalf of the fallen, ruined, and guilty race of mankind should fill our minds with holy wonderment and adoration. It ought to shock us. I think sometimes we get too familiar with what we're walking in. That God would do all of this. That God would release His Son that the Son would come, that He would allow fallen creatures to crucify Him, that He would spill His blood so that we could be redeemed. God in flesh. It ought to make us go, you know what a wonder is? A wonder is whatever makes you wonder. It ought to make you look up and wonder. Wow. You know what the covenant of grace is? It's wow. I mean, you know what? If you can't think of anything else to thank God for, thank God that you're saved. Just start right there. Just start there and just say, thank God I'm saved. Thank God he 
cared enough to knock on the door of my old crusty sin-laden heart. Thank God the Holy Ghost came into me and I'm redeemed. Thank God I'm a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. Thank God I'm heaven bound. I may not have everything I want in this life, but I've got eternal life. Thank God for the covenant of grace. Thank God for it. Now, the, the office work of the Holy Spirit, the office he holds within the context of the covenant of grace can be summed up in one word, sanctification. The Holy Spirit covenanted to sanctify you and me. That's his covenant. The third person of the Trinity agreed to sanctify the objects of salvation. The Spirit's work of sanctification was just as needful and indispensable for the church's salvation as was the obedience and blood shedding of Christ. Now I'm going to read that again because I want you to catch this. The Spirit's work of sanctification was just as needful and indispensable for the church's salvation as was the obedience and blood shedding of Jesus Christ. Why would that be? Here's why. Because Adam's fall plunged you and me. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Adam's fall plunged humanity into staggering depths of woe and wretchedness. God's image invested in us was defaced. Sin, like a loathsome cancer, infected us to the very core. Satan, tyrannizing over humanity, was dragging us without help or hope toward the brink of hell. Spiritual death spread to the entire human race. We were born dead. Born dead. This is why you've got to be born twice. Because the first time you're born, as David said, I was born in sin and shaped by the mystery evil of iniquity. I was shaped by it. You don't have to teach a little child to lie, to cheat, to steal to be selfish. What do we do as parents? The whole time we're raising them, we're trying to get them to do what's right, not what's wrong, because we're born in sin. We're born dead. That's why Jesus said, I'm telling you, you must be born twice if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God, because your dead spirit can't enter that place called heaven. It has to be born twice. In the presence of this disaster, the Holy Spirit pledged himself to sanctify us, framing and fitting us to be partakers of holiness and live forever in God's presence. See, it took more than the blood. Now, I want you to watch this very carefully. While Christ shed blood purchased our redemption, it would be of no avail without the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' atonement was perfect bringing to us a perfect righteousness, and it legally, it took care of the legal issue. We were in sin. We had transgressed. We had broken God's laws. There was a legal issue. There was no such legal issue with Jesus. You remember when Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. You know why he said that? Because he didn't have a fallen nature. He was born, conceived by the Holy Ghost. He wasn't carrying Adam's transgression. So there was no legal issue. 
Satan could not look at Jesus and say, he's mine because he has broken God's law. So Jesus said, he's coming, but he's got nothing in me that he can condemn or point a finger at. But he's the only one. The second Adam is the only one. All of us, the finger's pointing. We were all guilty. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so when the blood was shed, it took care of the legal issue. God's justice was realized. His need for justice was realized. But God is holy as well as just. He dwells in a holy heaven. The angels that minister in his presence constantly cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. If we were to go into heaven right now, that's what we would hear. Angels worshiping God, calling him holy, 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 holy. God is holy. John the Revelator wrote of heaven, there shall in no wise, watch this, enter anything that defiles Neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie. So God's justice was satisfied, but our nature had to be changed. His justice was satisfied, but our nature needed to be changed. Why? Because with a fallen nature, what does it say? Nothing that defiles is going to enter that place. That's why Jesus said, I'm telling you, truly, truly, you've got to be born twice because your nature's got to be changed. You know, I can't go jump in the ocean and go underwater and live down there. You know why? I'm not fitted for it. I'm not amphibious. I'm fitted for oxygen. So if you want me to go live in the ocean, you got to give me gills you got to get, make me able and capable of, of, of breathing, surviving underwater. You've got to change the way I am or I can't live under there. I can't go into outer space because there's no oxygen. I've got to have oxygen. So if I'm going to go into outer space, you've got to either give me a space suit or change me. So if I go underwater, I need a diver's suit. Space, I need a space suit. Listen, we can't live in heaven until we're changed. We need gills. We need our nature changed. <laughs> well, y'all are real somber tonight, man. I don't tell you. Do you get it? So, so while justice was satisfied, the Holy Ghost had to covenant with us to come into us and change our nature and sanctify us. How then could unholy, unregenerate, unsanctified sinners dwell in that unspeakable holiness? This is the wonder of the covenant of grace. The basest of sinners, the worst of mortals will enter through the gates into the holy city because the Holy Ghost has changed our nature and sanctified us. Read with me 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are what? Sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are sanctified by the Spirit of our God. Amen. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And He deals with you every day, doesn't He? He deals with you every day. 
You think something you shouldn't, and here comes the Holy Spirit. How many of you know what it's like to be wholly bugged? To be bugged by the Holy Spirit. You think something you shouldn't, he said, hey, hey, come on, righteousness. You do something you shouldn't, the Holy Spirit reels you in. You start copping an attitude that you should not have, the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's not Christ-like. I mean, he's dealing with us every day. What's he doing? He's fashioning us. He's preparing us to walk through those gates. The justice of God was satisfied by the blood, but we were prepared for heaven by the touch of the Holy Spirit. And you know what blows my mind is he said, I'll do this. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then God said, all right, it's settled. And he moved on ahead and created the worlds. Mm. Isn't that awesome? Let's just go ahead and say it. Awesome. It is awesome. It's awesome. We are told in Colossians 1.12 that one of the outcomes of the covenant grace, or covenant of grace is that God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Without God qualifying us, none would enter heaven. How does God do this? You've got to be born again. That's how he qualifies us. You don't get religion. You don't walk into a church and it does something to make you ready for heaven. You've got to get born again. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Again, Arthur Pink writes these words. No process can transform cotton into wool, flax into silk, draw, twist, spin, or weave. Its nature remains the same. Flesh is still flesh no matter how you dress it, and it cannot enter the kingdom of God. The utter necessity of the Spirit's work of sanctification lies not only in man's sinfulness, but in his state of death, which disables him from living, breathing, and acting Godward every bit as much as the corpse in the graveyard is unable to leave the silent tomb and walk among men. Only in Hollywood, once you're in that grave, you're not coming out until the Son of God calls you out. So don't be surprised, Jesus said, when I tell you that you have to be born from above. You know, I think Christians need a better understanding of this whole thing of the Spirit being dead until Jesus really, in essence, lifes you. Uh, When Paul says in Ephesians... I think chapter 2, he says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. That's just not, that's just not flowery language. He's not using uh, uh, exaggeration to make a point. The word dead in the Greek language means corpse on a slab. You were in your spirit, man. Your spirit was unplugged. It was unplugged. Uh, you know, just like this lamp, if we went over there and unplugged it from the source, it's dead. Not anything you can do. You can walk around it, speak over it, wave at it, yell at it. It's dead unless you plug it in. It's dead. 
There's no electricity. There's no source, no life. Until a man or a woman looks up and says, Jesus, forgive me, and the Spirit of God comes into you, you are dead men walking, dead women walking. On the inside, you're unplugged. And you're the equivalent to a corpse on a slab. Powerful stuff. So the same God that raised Jesus from the dead literally raises your spirit from the dead. You've been born two times. Amen. Now, look what Jesus says. The Spirit's role in the covenant of grace begins with conviction of sin. This is where the Spirit's role in the covenant of grace begins. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. There you are, you're a corpse on a slab. And you know what happens? The Spirit of God is sent to knock on the door of your heart. And you feel a conviction of sin. You say, I'm a sinner. You didn't arrive at that, Sherlock, with your intellectual brilliance. That was the Holy Ghost. Because you'd have never known you were a corpse on a slab unless he said you're in sin. And you go, oh, I'm a sinner. That's the quickening of the Holy Ghost. It says, no man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So you go, oh, okay, I'm a sinner. And he convicts you of guilt. You're not just uh, somebody who lies sometimes or cusses sometimes or, you know, whatever. But you are guilty before God. You go, oh, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I see it happen every week. I'll see people walk in, you know, old George Dossett there, not old George Dossett, George Dossett. <laughs> George comes, it, uh, Michelle brings him to church one Sunday, he didn't want to come. He, been, he, he got all mad at her because she was actually coming and <gasps> gasp, tithing. Right, George? <clears throat> what are you giving all that money for? They're probably a cult. Okay, he walked in. I stood up and I just said, Jesus is touching people. God's calling people to himself. He'd been a a Vietnam helicopter pilot. And he was skeptical about the whole thing, way back on the back row. And I could feel him giving me the beam. (laughs) It's sort of like a scowl. It's like, you know you're under inspection. And I gave the invitation. And he didn't plan on doing this, but... He came down, he gave his heart to Christ that day. And I watched the transformation. See, all it was was there on the back row, the Holy Spirit went, George, George, you're dead in sin. You need to be saved. Call out on Christ. And he came down and he was raised from the dead. And that's how it happens. So that's the first, that's the first part of the, of the Holy Spirit's covenant and the covenant of grace. Next, the Spirit regenerates the repentant sinner through the new birth. 
He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, what does that mean? Regeneration means quickening. It's when you are lifed, you are raised from the dead. That's what regeneration is. To be quickened to life. That's regeneration. And who did it? The Holy Ghost. And finally, He it is who daily renews us. Because the verse continues, and renewal by who? So every day, the Holy Spirit is working in God's children to renew them. Look what it says, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, and the mirror tells us that every week. You look in the mirror, you don't need for the Bible to tell you you're wasting away. <laughs> you know what I say? The morning mirror never lies. <laughs> How many of you have ever just, you know, maybe slept a little longer than usual or maybe gotten up earlier than usual and looked in the mirror and went, We don't need the Bible to tell us. We're wasting away. (laughs) Oh, you can put on the makeup. You can go get everything nipped and tucked and stretched and pulled. But listen, it's all going to deteriorate. You can put it off a little while, but it's coming. (laughs) Say, thanks a lot, Pastor Jeff. I really need it. This is edifying me. But look, here's the good news. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed every day. So that the outward man is perishing inside, you're being renewed day by day. Renewal is the act of renovation. He says, and have clothed yourselves with the new spiritual self, which is ever in the process of being renewed and remolded into fuller and more perfect knowledge Upon knowledge after the image, the likeness of him who created it. Every day, the Spirit of God, especially, and I can't emphasize this enough, you've got to feed your spirit. You've got to feed your spirit. There's two mirrors you ought to look in every day. Look in that normal mirror, and then to to build yourself up after that, look in the Word of God. Because James said this is a mirror. It's a mirror. And it shows you what you ought to be. It reflects Christ. It shows you the zits, the blemishes, the wrinkles, the things that need to be fixed, but it also shows you Christ. So you open it up and it's a mirror. And he says, don't close it and forget what you saw, but remember what you saw and walk in what you read. And if you'll feed your spirit, your spirit is going to be renewed, renovated every day. The completion of his work will be in our glorification. That's going to be the completion of the Holy Spirit's work. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, what did he do, everybody? He also glorified. So when we're presented to God in heaven, the presentation will be by the Holy Spirit. So here's what I did with them. Here's how I got them ready. Amen? aren't they pretty? Isn't it a pretty bride without spot or wrinkle or any blemish? Isn't she beautiful? 
All right, let's stand together, can we? And read this last part out loud with me, and we're going to pray. In summary, whether the Spirit is convicting us, working repentance in our hearts, breathing on us the Spirit of prayer, or taking the things of Christ and revealing them to us through the Word, He is discharging His covenant offices. Praise God. Father, I just thank you. The Holy Spirit is doing an awesome work in us. We want to just pause and thank you, Lord, that you, before the worlds were fashioned, said, I will go and I will die for them. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you said, I will sanctify them. I will quicken them. I will raise them from the spiritual dead. And that you have done, Lord. And we thank you for it. Now, Lord, may the communication and the fellowship of the Spirit of God be with everyone in this sanctuary and everyone listening by radio. May the Spirit of God be communicating, fellowshipping with us. And we thank you for that daily renewal. In Jesus' name, can you just lift your hands? If you're, just, just say, Lord, I yield to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I yield to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Help me to flow in your gifting. Help me to flow in the purpose of Christ for me. Now, I feel impressed while we're just in this moment of prayer. I want you to pray this. Say, Lord, unstop my ears so that I can hear the Spirit of God speaking to my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Give the Lord a hand, can we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.